WASD and Beyond is sponsored by Final Boss and Doc Longy. Please check out both of our sponsors by supporting them. You directly support us. They both have amazing drops coming out this Friday, such as Final Boss's Slayer 3.0 and Doc Longy's Tupac and Biggie drop. They each got shirts, long sleeves, wall flags for Final Boss. I mean, the list goes on and on to the amazing merch you can get from these guys. Please support our sponsors. Again, by supporting them, you support us, and that means the world to us. Now on to the show. to our episode of the WASD and Beyond podcast. I'm your host, Nick. Accompanying me is Brody and two people that you guys haven't met yet. Well, you've met Richard one time on the show, <laughs> but you haven't met Dan. So guys, hello, welcome to the show. Welcome back, Richard, and welcome to the show, Daniel. Or Dan, what, what do you prefer? Dan, Daniel, anything's fine. Just as long as you don't call us like Steve. I'm good for that. No, <laughs> no, I'm going to try. I'm going to try not to fuck up your name. Uh, right <laughs> off the bat. That would uh, that would be something. It's, it'd be something I would do. I, I, honestly, to be fair, even if you did call Steve, I'm pretty laid back with this. As long as I know you're referring to me when you're addressing us, I'm, we're all golden. <laughs> just just pointing at somebody's camera be like, hey, you, you, you. Um, Ginger so, dude's fine. That's it. That too. <laughs> yeah, just dude or bro or something. You know, whatever. As long as I'm pointing. Um, so we've been alluding on social media that we've had another cool interview coming up. And that is this. So if you guys know us and you guys listen to the show, you would know that we talk to the dudes behind FPS doc. So that's Richard, David and creator VC in general, right? Well, we got the dudes from terabytes on the show now, and I am incredibly excited about this project. Probably not as excited as these dudes are to create this project, but I am stoked. Um, I just want, I want to get right into this episode the proper way. I, I, I would ask Brody how he's doing, but I know how he's doing. He's tired. He's been up since 5 a.m. He got home at 5 or something like that. It's craziness. Guys, whoever wants to start, can you please tell our audience what exactly Terabytes is? Should I take this one, Richard? Yeah, you can take it. Okay, cool. So uh, for those of you who don't know Creative VC, if you didn't come across FPS Doc, we are an independent studio that do these massive large-scale retrospective documentaries. We do them by getting in all of the figures who created the art form we are looking at. So with the In Search of Darkness, which is the franchise we are most known for, we looked at 80s horror, and on the way, we interviewed all of the people responsible for the 80s horror renaissance, the directors, the makeup artists, the actors, what have you. Uh, we then moved into the gaming documentary scene with FPS Doc doing a similar thing, looking at 50 plus years of first person shooter history with uh, key figures like John Romero, who obviously, you know, made Doom along with John Karma, Warren Spector, who made System Shock and basically, you know, all of the key players from that industry in that medium. Now we are moving into horror gaming, combining our 
flagship franchise of In Search of Darkness and our passion for horror with our new foot in the gaming scene. And we're looking at the evolution of horror gaming, uh, going over, you know, 50 plus years of history and uh, talking to some of the really huge key figures that were monumental to the creation and evolution of this genre. Dude, I don't know how you guys keep like just (laughs) digging this deep, man, because with FPS doc, you guys really, 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 really went to the bottom all the way to the top. You know what I mean? In those three and a half, what, four almost hours with FPS doc, if not longer. Four and a half. I don't remember how. Yeah, four and a half. We we watched it in chunks, but this is set up differently than FPS Doc. This is what a five part series, each episode being an hour long, correct? Yeah. So were you guys able from FPS Doc because FPS and horror genre borrow so much from each other? I mean, you got games like Fear doom i mean Qu- the original quake and my in quake 2 in my opinion were had elements of horror in it um and plenty of others and third person shooters really borrow from the horror genre so were you guys able to take some of the people you've talked to from fps documentary and go oh we can transplant them right into terabytes easily making i don't know if you're that easier for you guys to really jump start this project at all so we're, we're going to be doing new interviews with John Romero and Dave Oshry. Uh, and we've, uh, we didn't get Dave Szymanski, uh, Iron Lung and Dusk for FPS, but we've got him for this one. And then uh, we might be pulling in some little snippets from, from other interviews where, wherever I think they're relevant when I'm doing the writing. Like maybe I can, I can get someone uh, who talked about fear or FPS and we didn't use it and go, oh, bam, this will be perfect for here where we're talking about like AI and how, yeah. how awesome AI can enhance horror or, or something like that. Uh, so I'll be trying to plug my memory of those interviews to, to pull in things whenever necessary. It's like whenever you need it. Yeah, that makes makes perfect sense. Like I said, just it just borrows so perfectly. There's plenty of games that were talked about in FPS Doc where I was like, as soon as I saw Terabytes, I'm like, oh, dude, that's going to pop up. Like something along those lines is going to pop up. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you're sort of hitting um, a point that we kind of really want to touch on in the documentary, and that's that the uh, horror genre is defined so loosely. Um, it's, it's almost like a thematic lens through which to analyze other genres as it is a genre into itself. You know, and this is one of the challenges when I was con- when I was coming up with the concept and me and Richard kind of refined it um, of if we look at just horror games, when people think of horror games, they tend to focus specifically and solely on survival horror. Like that's the, the poster boy image for horror games is, you know, Resident Evil and Silent Hill. And obviously those are monumental titles and important to the history of the genre. But we found as we thought about it more, if we were going to do this, you know, big deep dive into the, the scale and scope of horror within gaming that if you just focus on survival horror you're leaving out so many different key titles that fall under this umbrella term but that either get overshadowed by the more popular subgenre of survival horror such as is the case with you know the 90s fmv scene with stuff like seventh guest and phantasmagoria things that people would never deny are horror games but aren't the sort of poster boy image that comes to mind when you hear those key words but then also things like you know like you say you know you mentioned yourself doom and quake they are primarily you know thought of as 
first person shooters first in a similar way like Castlevania is thought of as a Metroidvania first but they are so steeped in sort of horror and gothic imagery well gothic in the case of Castlevania and horror imagery in the case of uh, Doom with all of the satanic stuff and so much of their sort of thematic richness comes from those horror roots and so what me and Richard are really trying to look at with this documentary or at least one of the key points we're trying to look at is like identifying what horror in games even really means and was was that is that like a key reason possibly why there is five hour long parts to this series it's to is it to explore really as deep as possible like what horror gaming is because like you said it's so overshadowed with just survival horror survival horror you get beat over the head with it like a sack of bricks usually like when you, you hear horror games but no one talks it's not that no one talks about it, but like little nightmares for instance is a very mm. it's a very thematic and uh, ambient style of horror game if anybody could play that game but if you really dig deep into that game it's very thematic and ambient that's like why that game scares me so much it's like some of the things that you don't see scares me the most Mm. in that game which is super important to build up that sort of like man i don't know what i'm looking at but i'm terrified is that like why these are being put in the episodes like in episodic format to to, to explore this genre (laughs) as thoroughly as possible then yeah so when dan pitched us the concept initially uh he had about 12 or so different ideas for episodes we could do like he because he knows everything about horror uh so he he's just like well you could do episodes on this 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 he had this whole list uh each of them with a summary of of like what would this be about and robin and i were reading them and thinking well what's what sounds the most exciting for going on the screen and we had to pick five because robin felt that five is a good number and I think it is, you know, it's about five hours of content, which is in line with the other films. So it's not adding us extra work and it gives us good breadth. And uh, out of that, uh, we've been discussing it more and more. And it, it, we're both agreeing that it's really important to just explore what horror even means. Uh, and for me personally, um, when I think of horror gaming, I don't just think of horror games because so many of my own memorable experiences, I'm not a, I'm not a huge horror gamer. So a lot of my most memorable experiences have been in games that aren't even horror at all. Like Max Payne, it's a, it's a, it's a shooter. It's a third person shooter. There's that level where you've got the baby crying and, and it, it's just playing on loop, that baby crying and the, the room is all creepy and there's blood dripped around and you're like, what is going on here? Because he's, he's reliving this horrible experience that he had uh, when, when his wife and child got attacked. And uh, that that's a horror experience in a non-horror game. Uh, and Tomb Raider is one of my favorite games, uh, or the whole franchise is like one of my favorite things. And dripping all the way through that, you've got horror themes. And so horror is, it's a genre, but it's also a feeling or a mood. And we want to explore that however we can. And so I think it's important that when we're doing the interviews that we ask our contributors about horror experiences as well as horror games. And then out of that, somehow I'll piece together a story that explores horror as an idea and not just horror as a genre. See, I'm with you, Richard, where I'm not really a spooky game guy at all. <laughs> like, uh, I 
grew up, you know, playing a lot of first person shooters. So I, that's typically where I connect a lot more was when you guys were doing the FPS doc, but, you know, bringing up how you guys are approaching this whole project as a whole, like I, I go back and I think of Bioshock, like Bioshock was a big one for me that I love that franchise. And it has those, those creepy elements, those things that kind of make your, your skin tingle a little bit and your hair stand up on end. But it never really is thrown into the the horror genre as much just because it it is typically that survival horror um, uh, poster child, like you said earlier. And I, I, I think that's a really cool uh, thing that you guys are doing with this project of kind of breaking it down. It's almost like your, your RPGs, right? Where your RPGs are so widespread at this point, like nobody can even define what that genre is. And I, I, I think you guys are spot on with the, how, how to really approach this, this horror element. I think that's uh it's a really cool addition to, to this documentary for sure. Yeah. I think um it's, it's sort of like, like you say, it's interesting that you bring a Bioshock as an example, because you know, that doesn't get lumped in with the horror label, but it is firmly, firmly in the horror camp. Like, especially that opening with the bathosphere and you go down and the, you know, the, the, you, you're sort of encountering the the sort of citizens of Rapture for the first time, and it's it's very uh, steeped in horror imagery. If Bioshock was adapted to a movie, for example, we would we would absolutely consider it horror. Like if it stays, if it kept that same sort of structure with the sort of ominous, almost slasher villain like figure of the Big Daddy or the horrible little you know monstrous violent entities of the splicers um but what i think happens a lot with um games is a lot of games will dip into the horror well repeatedly um but it's almost like a kind of a dirty word sometimes to be associated with horror this is something you say across all mediums really it's only really in literature we've started to really value horror because we can kind of look at you know the classics like dracula and be like oh yes this this is esteemed this is this is a worthy of praise but you know when you look at films horror is still kind of the black sheep you know it gets it's the it's the genre that always gets snubbed at the oscars there's only one film's ever won uh, <laughs> um there's only one film has ever won an Oscar that was a horror film, and it gets do- redubbed a thriller because thriller is prestigious, yeah. but horror, horror's pulp, horror's you know your petty dreadfuls, um, and it's interesting. We're sort of seeing um, a kind of cultural shift, um, and it's a slow cultural shift, but it it it, it is happening. Um, we're starting to recognize Stephen King, you know, an author who was once considered pulpy to be you know worthy of like academic commendation and historical archiving and literary importance and we're seeing within films this move to i hate this term but people are calling it elevated horror prestige horror stuff like nope and um us and um hereditary you know ariasta's stuff we haven't seen that happen in games yet i don't think except maybe for silent hill 2 silent hill 2 is considered quite prestigious and sort of like an important um thing within the history of, of, of game storytelling um but even the mainstream hits like uh resident evil they are often considered kind of pulpy you know mainstream fun as opposed to like you know masterpieces of the genre and uh, masterpieces of the medium and i think 
a, a goal with this doc, at least for me, is to do something that I'm always trying to do, and that is essentially give horror its flowers. Um, it's worthy of the same sort of microscopic analysis that we give to something like, you know, uh, Sam Barlow's Immortality gets, you know, kind of looked at through this sort of prestigious lens. And rightfully so, it's a fantastic thing. Uh, Sam Barlow, funny enough, actually being in our documentary because, you know, prior to that, he worked on Silent Hill games. And that's, it's interesting to me that that part of his career kind of gets forgotten about um, because, you know, he went on to make these sort of more prestigious, more critically acclaimed, more recognized stuff. Um, It's not necessarily that these games don't have the fans or have the popularity, but they don't get talked about in the same circles as, you know, like a, a Dark Souls or a Zelda or a Mario, which is interesting. And the reason I named those three franchises is because they're kind of looked at like at as like gaming pinnacles. Uh, Metal Gear Solid would be another one. Stuff that's sort of researched within how it uses the language of games and how it invents the language of games um, to sort of build these kind of big ideas uh, within games and expand upon them in a way that evolves the, the medium and the genre. Um, but they are all games that have in their franchises past borrowed heavily from the horror well. Even Mario, you know, Zelda, the obvious example is Majora's Mask. Lots of like dread and anxiety and stuff and material around death in that game. Uh, Metal Gear Solid has, you know, Psycho Mantis and weird trippy horror stuff. Um, and Mario has a surprising amount of horror Easter eggs. You would never consider them, you know, you would never think about it, but there's some creepy stuff in Mario, uh, like the three figures that follow you around in one of the stages of Mario Galaxy at the top of the stage <laughs> that you could miss out and not notice. And I just find it interesting that in sort of all mediums, um, a lot of sort of established genres are happy to borrow from the well of horror, but they don't want to have the label of it. Um, when I think that there are plenty of games that wear that label very, very, very proudly that have a lot of depth and profound meaning behind them. So it's as much about celebrating horror within games as it is about defining it, um, because I think both those tasks are sort of important in any period where, yeah, and in, in any moment where you are analyzing like a medium's sort of literary history, if you will. So yeah, after, sorry, Nick, if you wouldn't uh, no, follow up with that, go. I that actually was... had another question. <laughs> no, no, you go, but that was wonderful. That was, yeah, that, that was awesome. awesome. <laughs> um, so, I mean, following up on FPS doc, right? Like that's, that's a kind of, like you said, it, it, it is a, a widespread thing. Like I, FPSs are all over the place, right? And then now kind of transferring into the horror theme of games, like what, I mean, Dan, obviously you seem like a, a real driving force behind this project. What was kind of the, the the big push to actually pursue this, especially as the scope kind of grew and you guys got into it and realized like, oh, well, now we're we're not just staying in survival horror. We're we're spreading into other things. Uh, so Richard, if I, you want to I go can, ahead first, I can talk a bit. I can talk a bit on the internal thing because uh, Dan Dan's new to the company. Uh, yeah. uh, so uh, as we we're finishing up FPS stock, I think is when Dan just sent in his proposal. He had this long pitch. Uh, he's a fan of the company. He can talk more about that when when he goes. Uh, uh, but uh, Robin Block, the CEO, uh, executive producer of all the films, uh, he looked at it and he 
thought, hey, this is pretty good. And uh, it, it occurred to him, oh, hey, we, we could look at horror. That's that's an interesting idea. We've got these In Search of Darkness films. They're, they're huge. They're, they're just, they've completely changed his life and, and everyone who's worked on those. And uh, horror is like, it's, it's the niche that the company specializes in now. Uh, and um, we needed projects to do after FPS. We were talking about, are we going to do a sequel? Are we going to get into a particular game? Uh, it, we thought it made sense that David and I would split off because uh, we're both writers. We're sort of, we're wasting, uh, as much as it's nice to collaborate, we're, we're being wasted as resources if we're working together on the same thing. We're, it's reducing our respective shares in the project. Um, and uh, it, it's just not making good use of our talents. We're, we're both good enough to lead something. So it's like, well, it's completely natural that if we do anything more FPS related, David's going to lead that because he's got all this knowledge about FPS games. It's it's his genre. He's been he plays Doom every year. He, he's just <laughs> he's crazy into FPS games. Uh, but then, so it's like, well, what do I do? What am I going to work on? And Robin and I were, ex were like chatting about some different ideas, thinking about whether we go something smaller, do we go something big? Uh, do we try and jump onto uh, something that someone else has done? We pull in uh, like a person who's succeeded with crowdfunding on a book and we say, hey, we want to do a movie version of your book or something like that. And then Dan's proposal came in and Robin just started asking me questions. It just, I don't know where he's like, what do you think of this? And I, it's, it's always this way with Robin. He, he doesn't, he doesn't know, he doesn't tell you why he's, he's wanting to talk to you about something. It's how I got recruited in the first place. He just, he, he cold emailed me and it's like, I'd like to talk to you. I'm working on this FPS project. And, uh, and I had thought that maybe I, I was getting sort of auditioned as a potential uh, contributor for the cast, or he wanted to just get my thoughts as a journal on whether this project is, is hidden right. But then 10 minutes into the call, he was pitching me on writing it uh, just out of the blue. <laughs> this person I'd never <laughs> met wanted me to write his film. Uh, so that's how Robin is. And it was the same way here. He just started asking me questions about Dan's idea and sending me things. And I'd give a bit of feedback, he'd go back to Dan uh, a couple of weeks later, he'd come back. Hey, what do you, he's, he's made some changes. What do you think of it now? And, and I'd keep feeding in. And after this had been going on a few months, finally, uh, Dan and I were both put into the same group on Slack and we could start to, to talk <laughs> between us. Uh, and by then uh, the project was sort of into a validation -y phase where we're, which is an important thing for us now where we want to test an idea before we go ahead with it. And, and Dan has completely driven that process. Uh, we just told him, hey, you need to prove that there's a market for this. Uh, so we've made a survey for you, go, <laughs> and he's run with it. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's it's it was a pretty surreal experience on my end too. You know, Richard was always kind of the stranger in the wind for us. You know, I just hear yeah, these sort of feedbacks just come come through us as emails from this mysterious person I, I'd never met, um, and it was great to you know finally connect with them because I ended up getting involved with this. Um, I am originally from a filmmaking background, and um, Robin had kind of stumbled upon me when I reached out to him to work on a completely different project that I actually can't talk about. Um, 
and we were sort of collaborating on that. He'd approached me because I'd had previous experience crowdfunding. I'd had some success on the indie film circuit. And I also had a horror analysis YouTube channel just as a side hobby. I never thought my side hobby would pay off this well. Um, but, you know, <laughs> he, he liked what he saw. And, you know, he's, he's kind of made a career in horror analysis. So he sort of, we would talk weekly um, and I just kind of one day decided, you know, like I've got the CEO of a studio's ear weekly, like I'm just going to pitch him. So I did, and I kind of sold them on this idea. And it was it was kind of a fun it was kind of a fun conversation actually, because Robin um has no idea when it comes to horror gaming. You know, he'll be the first to sort of put his hand up and say, like, I mm, yeah. is it big, I guess. Um, I mean to give you an idea of kind of how um much this is kind of out of Robin's wheelhouse. Uh, when I was pitching it to him and talking about how big an audience there is for this stuff, it was about six months before the Five Nights at Freddy's movie came out. Um, and I told him, you know, like that is going to be the biggest movie on Blumhouse's slate this year. And he went, oh, is it based on a video game? So like that's the level <laughs> we're talking. Um, but it's good because um, with him not knowing all of the stuff about horror games with him being this kind of complete stranger to this scene it meant that i had to articulate my ideas very 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 clearly because you know i was essentially explaining it to the layman and that meant that things that sort of felt very 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 important to me it became clear what actually was important and those weren't always the things that i put as important because you know i'm deeply into horror gaming so i'm you know thrown out uh, all of these names of like, yeah, it would be super important to talk to this person about this game. And Robin's like, I've never heard of it. I'd never heard of this person. <laughs> so I then have to find myself justifying why it's important. And that almost became like a thought exercise and it helped refine the the pitch. You know, if I couldn't make the argument of why this person was important to talk to and why their game was important to the genre, then maybe it wasn't as clear cut as I thought it was. So it was kind of helpful to have that sort of outsider asking me to explain things to him. Um, and then I guess as well, it kind of drove us further with the pitch because, you know, I am an advocate for horror in all shapes and forms. And the idea that one specific medium was being overlooked by this singular person even um, who, you know, has a, a place in in horror history with the, the work of uh, In Search of Darkness. I was like, well, this is a grave injustice. I need to fix this yeah. immediately. <laughs> so, so you know, I wanted to spread the good word of horror games, you know, knock on your door and tell you, you know, have you heard of these things? Um, and so that, that kind of became how it came about. I pitched him initially and he was like, oh, I don't know, is the, is the market for that? Do people like that? And then I was like, dude, here is a 40-page document I have just wrote this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> have it. Slid it across his desk and then he went, oh, wow, this looks impressive. Richard, you read it. And passed it along to Richard. So he had to suffer through that. Um, the but we got there. Richard, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we got there. We got there through these kind of back and forth communications with, like I say, the stranger and the wind until I eventually met him. Um, we, we, we managed to make something that um, I think at a core concept had um, not just a, a good structure, but like a genuine reason to exist. 
Um, because one of the things obviously we are very much aware of is that there's lots and lots of like, you know, I say amateur not in any disrespectful way. I, I, I honestly think they're amazing, but there's lots of like amateur video essays looking into like horror history and stuff on YouTube and that. Um, so there almost becomes a question of like, well, why do this? And it's like, well, they're all great. There's lots of really great stuff out there for, for free, but this because of our resources and because of our budget, we can really take it to the next level in terms of production values and in terms of like who we can hear from. A lot of these things that exist online, while they do go in depth, they might go in depth on one specific game or they might, uh, you know, only be one person's perspective. By having the sort of pull and power of Create a VC behind this doc, it benefits from the ability to reach out to people in, you know, all corners of the globe who are fundamentally important, not just in analyzing the genre, but in its formation. Um, And I think that's a unique perspective that we are able to help facilitate that couldn't exist to, you know, if I was to just do this for my own YouTube channel. Damn, dude. No, you guys, this is definitely one of those things where it's like passion project coming to life. And that's why I love doing these interviews with, especially with, so far, especially with the Creator VC, everybody from Creator VC that we've talked to now, you. And it's just, it's it's truly incredible to see how this project is coming to light and to life in and of itself, right? What, before we get, because I do want to talk about your episodes. I want to go a little bit in depth with all five, just Mm -hmm. as as much as we can. What is, and and obviously who you guys are getting on in in these episodes and into the documentary series. I want to definitely talk about the guests and everything. But what is the most important thing that you want to achieve with these five episodes? Like let's for for people who are like Robin Block, right? Who weren't in, who didn't have the knowledge that you have or that I may have, but now they're seeing it. Just like the people who watched FPS Stock for the first time, who weren't super big into the FPS scene, but I know plenty of people who watched that movie and went, "Oh shit, this is what this is about," or "This is what that was about." I'm super there for it. So, what is your guys's like ultimate goal, really, with Terabytes? Whoever wants to start, I, it's just <laughs> up in the air. Whoever wants to grab it, uh, I think we've got pretty similar goals but also quite distant goals at the same time so if richard if you want to go first we can offer both insights from either side of the coin yeah yeah all right uh, i guess my the first place my head goes to is that it'd be great to show people that horror in games can be an art form uh, and a very diverse kind of art form it's it's not just about survival horror like a, like we've talked before it's it's a yeah. mood it's a theme it's an aesthetic it's a, it's an idea and a feeling and it's a feeling that can elevate games uh, because games are such a games are a very active medium they're almost a primal medium horror is a primal genre it's it's tapping into to stuff that's deep inside of us and uh, and uh, games are all about making you the star of the thing And, and so you can you can do things with horror in games that you can't do in any other medium. And that's really interesting. Uh, and I, I just, I'd like us to tap into the the richness of horror as a medium, but also the breadth of horror and, and touch on the idea of, of uh, you know, w- w- what makes horror interesting. And I want to, I want to explore that. What makes horror interesting and, and hear from all our different, all our contributors, what to them is interesting about it and, and pepper the film with quotes about it. Absolutely. 
Yeah, and uh, just to kind of agree with everything Richard said there um, and just to kind of jump <laughs> on with, with further points uh, from my side of things, um, I think for me, and I'll try and keep this short because I could talk you know, forever about the, <laughs> the dreams and the <laughs> ideal go goals that this could come out with. Uh, but I think an important thing for me is to celebrate the people behind these things. I do believe them to be truly art and I do think they're important like artifacts of culture. And, you know, it's, it's frustrating to me um, and this isn't uniquely to horror specifically. This is this is a games thing. Um, but it's frustrating to me that, you know, when we think of films, we know Spielberg, we know James Cameron, we know Dario Argento, we know Jordan Peele, we know all of the names of Tarantinos and whoever else is behind these things. But if I said to you, you know, oh, you love Clock Tower, like I'm a big fan of the works of Hafumi Kono, you might go, who? And I don't think that's fair. You know, I I, I think no, that's not. I think that's a damn shame. Um, um, I think, you know, in an ideal world, like, yes, there are some, you know, really famous names within gaming. Like a lot of people know Miyamoto, a lot of people know Kojima, but even somebody as beloved within the culture as Akira Yamaoka maybe isn't a household name when he probably should be. For those who don't know, Akira Yamaoka is the composer of, and producer of the early Silent Hill series. Uh, somebody who I think uh, transcends his medium and is not just a fantastic games composer, but genuinely one of the greatest living musicians alive um but right. because he's within this medium uh of games and specifically pretty much exclusively composes for horror games he's more of a, a niche figure even though he probably should be you know a, a household name in just terms of what he's done for instrumentation um within you know video game compositions and just general melody and comp composure of uh songs in general it, he's, he's honestly made some of the most beautiful music in the world and people outside of these circles just haven't heard it and i think that's tragic um and yeah so celebrating all of the names behind these these games would be a big a big thing for me uh but for me and this is something that i find um deeply important when i'm sort of praising horror is i really want to get to the emotional core of its appeal uh so for me horror is kind of like you know a, a good long-term friend um it's kind of always there for us and that seems like almost a silly thing to say in a lot of ways because you know it has that stigma attached to it you'll often hear people be like you know oh i don't like horror films that it's gross it's sick it's disgusting i've been <laughs> you know I've, I've, I've heard people call me sick for, for like in horror films and i just oh, i find yeah. that such a, a a bizarre um take because then you know people will go and watch game of thrones and watch various <laughs> Gory, you know, cuttings of genitals and the you boys know, and shit. Yeah, yeah, and horrible assaults and all that. Now I don't understand why that is necessarily. And I'm not saying those things are bad. I love those things, but uh, <laughs> the, the, I don't understand why it's generally seen in this in this better light. Um, where when you really break horror down to its core, um, for me, it is the most emotionally honest genre in a lot of ways. Uh, specifically, if we're looking at gaming, um, horror in games takes this really interesting strategy of, of, of booking the trend of what we traditionally use games for. 
games we think of mostly as power fantasies. When you're playing as Kratos, you are a literal slayer of gods. When you're playing Halo, you're, you know, the greatest soldier in the known universe. You know, even going to something like Mario, it's it's a flight of fancy. You're gymnastic, you're athletic, you're dancing about the screen. It's it's beautiful, it's whimsical. And so in all of these games, and in, in almost all of the, the games we play, it's it's an escape. It's a, a fantastical pursuit and it is a power fantasy and then horror in games tends to turn around and go okay but what if instead of playing as a dragon slayer you're just a sad librarian just just hear us out (laughs) what if instead of being you know the mightiest warrior in all of mortal Kombat, you are a depressed widower and it puts you in these roles of like lost little girls and sad lonely men and it puts you in the position to empathize with them and they are you know weaker and underpowered and they're not gonna like mow their way through hundreds of thousands of enemies by the time the game's credits roll but you are put in the control of these people people who are a lot more similar to you than the normal avatars we experience within gaming and you are still given all of the obstacles and foes that a normal game character would encounter all of the demons all of the monsters all of the villainous entities that won't kill you but at the end you still make it out alive and i think that's really profound and genuinely kind of beautiful um and i would love to dig down deep and celebrate that aspect of um of of games um specifically within the horror genre uh because i think whenever horror is given a label and this is an exclusive to games this is in every medium but i think it's even more true in games because games already have that kind of stigma around video game violence anyway people hear horror game and they think blood and guts and that's part of it but the blood and guts are the the little tingle of recipe you need to, I think, explore, you know, profound depths of humanity, if I can be so pretentious about it. (laughs) Dude, no, I mean, when I am diving into something involved in horror, I want it to invoke a feeling, whether Mm -hmm. that be shock, whether that be sadness, right? Like, you brought up God of War, and there are elements of horror right there, losing a Mm. child. You know, I'm like, that, to me, as a father, I'd play that game and go, the further on you get with your son, it's like, oh, man, some of the shit right here that they're talking about discussing it's just elements of horror spring there's elements of horror sprinkled in ev- everything in media and so the stigma behind it is so crazy because it's almost treated like the video nasties back in the 80s yeah you know what i mean like you had your you had your evil dead big evil dead fan i have ash tattooed on my arm you know what i mean nice. i love those movies but those movies made me feel something and it wasn't i didn't feel gross watching those movies i, didn't, I never felt like i just i was excited or i was scared but i like to be scared and i think audiences are having a fun time being scared right now as well mm-hmm. and that's important i think to really touch on right like people play dead by daylight for a reason because you have one person as the chaser and then you and everyone else are just running you can't you can barely do shit but there's something so fun about that cat and mouse aspect to a game like that yeah there's a party element to it but it's still kind of scary knowing that your friend's about to fuck you up at some point in this game <laughs> i mean it's it's just one of those things right but it's an element of horror that i that i also enjoy and i like to be have feeling invoked onto me and i think this movie this series is really going to show that that's what horror does it's, it's 
it's a feeling. It's yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, uh, bring you bring up Dead by Daylight and you know that experience of like surviving the slasher killer. I think you know that in its own way, through disempowerment, making you basically useless is yeah. empowering. You know, to fact the fact that you can strip somebody uh, in a medium traditionally known for its you know combat capabilities of like how to yeah. handle obstacles, be they platform for whatever you you are constantly given the tools to overcome things and then take those tools away and say hey you're gonna overcome this anyway i think is is genuinely like brilliant um and you know to give you kind of like a little horror history lesson um there was a period of time and it's still to an extent where we thought of the the final girl trope within um horror films as you know deeply exploitative misogynistic and and sexist and there is you know problematic elements to it they often do get their shirts ripped like let's be honest in provocative ways <laughs> however it wasn't until um, an academic called carol j clover came along with her sort of formative um book uh, men, women, and chainsaws, um, and really defined the final girl trope and said, like, isn't it interesting that horror, a genre that's typically written off as sexist, um, you know, trite, um, that is exploitative and just, you know, voyeuristic and basically pornography, it gets written off in this manner, is especially in the 80s, one of the few genres where we often have, you know, female leads and we are asked as a predominantly male audience to empathize and root for a, a female who will often overcome a man at the end of the film who is bigger, stronger, you know, more armed to the teeth. And what I think horror games are doing, although maybe people haven't kind of clicked onto it yet, is they're having the private revelation within amongst the developers um, that was the same revelation that Carol J. Clover had when she sort of put into her book Men, Women and Chainsaws, that there is an empowerment in that that positioning. You know, to play Dead by Daylight, to play Resident Evil, to play Silent Hill, in some respects, you know, it's asking you not to play as the gods and the super soldiers, but to play as the final girl. You are experiencing the final girl empowerment through an interactive medium. And the fact that, you know, we don't celebrate that as legitimate genius is is kind of baffling to me because I think that's personally, I think that's amazing. I think that's incredible. Well, shit, look at I Spent on Your Grave. Look at Last House on the Left. Things like that. Those were very, very tough movies to watch in the opening mm-hmm. scenes. Uh, but it gets to the point in those movies where it's like, no, no, no. She is a badass. Yeah, You know what I mean? And, and that's and super awesome. A lot yeah. of these things, yeah. And a lot of these things, you know, that were written off at the time are now culturally reassessed as uh, classics. You know, Nightmare on Elm Street was considered, they used to call them um, dead teenager movies, was Roger Ebert's term for them. Um, but we recognize now when you look at something like Nightmare on Elm Street, and that's just one example, we could pull a hundred of these. We recognize yeah. now that it was doing a lot more in terms of commenting on the disempowerment of youths within middle-class American society. It was commenting on, you know, the predatory relationship, adult figures. It was commenting on so many interesting ideas 
within, uh, you know, just just that were purveying, you know, Reagan's middle class America without really without us really realizing it until like decades later when everybody just goes, hang on, was was Wes Craven actually a genius? And it's like, yeah, <laughs> did you not know this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so I just kind of want to do that for horror games, I guess, as well. Dude, this movie's about to make a lot of people smarter. Well, in terms and, of this, yeah, and that's kind of, you know just listening to you talk about it. I've never been the the horror game guy by any means, but you know, like there there is that that stigma as you were talking about of like a lot of people approach it almost as, with lizard brain, right? Like it is fight or flight, and that's the whole premise. It's supposed to make you scared, and it it invokes that feeling, and that's what it does. But you know the the way you approach the medium, the way you approach the the, the context as a whole, and look at it as like like, hey, this is there's a lot more going on here than what's on the surface. It's not just to scare you. It's not just to provoke that feeling like there's there's a lot more going on. And that makes the genre more enticing. Right. Like for even for mm. me sitting here, I'm like, maybe I should get into horror games. Like maybe yeah, I should sure, actually finally go. I'm doing right? my job. And this, like, is, this is exactly what it needs to be. <laughs> and and I think the, the lens that you guys are approaching it with really does that well. And it, and it really does make everything seem that much more enticing and that more interesting to play because it's not just looking at it as as that simple slasher film you're now approaching it with like even something like dead by daylight where it is i mean for the most part it's a relatively simple concept it's a what 4v1 3v1 whatever it was i'm drawing a blank at the moment but the 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 concept is you know yeah your your friends trying to kill you and you're running and trying to escape right but like to look at it in that lens of there's more going on behind the surface. There's more going on behind the surface of, you know, these crazy films that had a terrible uh, reputation back in the day and now are looked at as like the epitome of horror or whatever it may be. It's it it, it truly is kind of like a, a beautiful take on it. Like you said earlier, it, it is a lot more profound than people give give it credit. Yeah, there's a really great um, Neil Gaiman quote. Obviously, he's more referring to literature, uh, but it goes something like, fairy tales are more than true, not because they tell us that dragons and monsters exist, but because they can tell, they tell us that the dragons can be slain. I think that there is no better physical representation of that core idea of the uh, of the the power of storytelling teaching you you know that there is light at the end of the tunnel there is an escape from the darkness there is and something you can find deep within yourself that will overcome the worst things that will happen to you i don't think there's a better metaphorical physical representation of that idea than horror games because that is literally what they ask you to do they put you in the position of something that is stripped away of you know when we when i'm saying stripped away of the powers i'm talking like so much more than even you know the the general tools we use to navigate video games if you think back to like og survival horror with alone in the dark and resident evil and stuff like that in silent hill it didn't even give us agency over our camera controls we couldn't necessarily <laughs> see what was Tank. happening off screen yeah. they it used a fixed camera perspectives it robs us of all agency and ability and then you know we come out the other end anyway and that is that is the neil game quote you know it's if, if there's anything we can learn from that it's like oh well maybe you know that day at the office isn't going to be so hard maybe you know this horrible thing that's happened in my life like i can i can fight that um 
and I, and I just think that I just I just think you know horror games are a great articulation of those ideas and concepts. Hold up, you had that Neil Gaiman quote just on top of your brain, just ready to go. I've got like, it like in like... my back pocket all times. So I've got like several literary <laughs> quotes that I can just be like boom, 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 make me seem smart really quick. <laughs> I can't. I host a show and I can't do that. So maybe you'll take my job after this because you, you, what you guys are creating here is so again with FPS doc. I'm gonna say it for this. It sounds so special and just so involved with love because you could tell when a project just here's information here's some interviews and that's what you're getting information interviews this is so this this sounds like so much more and there's nothing i i want to explore these episodes because we are at the 50 minute mark we (laughs) promised ourselves 45 to an hour and that's not happening yeah i did warn you before i get on that i ramble (laughs) (laughs) you know what man it's for this this is awesome because i want to go through these episodes even if briefly and just explain there's so much passion here this is insane i don't know i'm losing my i'm losing my train of thought with how stoked i am on this project (laughs) just like i did with talking to david the first time for fps i was like oh well like i love half-life you know and david was like i like half-life and then we just talked about that for 10 minutes and brody was like dude get back to topic (laughs) i was like oh shit so can we please explore these five episodes just a little bit and explain to the audience what they're going to be getting per episode and what to expect. And then we can talk a little bit about who's on the uh, the episodes. Okay, so you want us to to, to, to roll yes. now? Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> That was uh, oh, without a hitch. We're going off without a hitch here. So the first episode <laughs> will, will be about survival horror games. Uh, working title is Enter the Survival Horror. Uh, it, it's sort of self-explanatory. We're, we're digging yeah. into the survival horror uh, I mean, we could call it a subgenre of horror, but basically, it is a genre. It's something that if uh, if if Terabyte does well, maybe one day uh, we'll give Dan the keys to to go and do a five hour film on survival horror on its own or something. <laughs> like it's it's massive. But yeah. we we don't just want to talk about Resident Evil and Silent Hill and and obviously Alone in the Dark will be in there too, as it's so formative. Uh, but we want to also. Uh, explore some other areas you know the documentary is subtitled the evolution of horror gaming so we're going to be getting into some of the the more recent ish stuff like outlast we've got a couple of outlast people in in the doc uh, but we want to go right back and explore the the beginnings of the genre and think about well where did these ideas first form and it's not just in the 90s with alone in the dark you had alone in the dark uh, as one of the influences for resident evil but then there's also like sweet home which is an rpg uh, 1989 on the, N- the nintendo and you go back even further and uh, one thing that I that I made sure uh, we talked about, uh, and we've we've got the guy who made it, Sinistar. Now, it's an arcade game, but it's totally survival horror. <laughs> you literally cannot cannot survive that game. The whole point of the game is that you survive as long as you can. It's like if you make it two minutes without getting killed by that horrifying thing screaming i hunger and chasing you and <laughs> and like die coward then then you're doing yeah. amazing if you can last two minutes in sinister yeah and and just to sort of piggyback on um what richard's talking about with sinister like we we celebrate so much this kind of 
huge recent influx of the stalker villain within uh, horror games. You know, the most famous example probably recently would be like Mr. X and Nemesis in the Resident Evil remakes or before that, the alien in Alien Isolation. These have become like really like people are pointing at that and going like, oh, that's a really cool new thing that we're only just doing now. And it's like that could not be further from the truth, because if you go back (laughs) all the way to Sinistar, that's like one of the OG stalker villains, just this unbeatable, unkillable thing thing that just keeps coming back and back and back and back and back and back and back until it ends you and that's something you know we're we're only really sort of spotlighting as like a really cool thing within horror games in sort of the past five to ten years when there's been a huge there's been entire franchises come off the back of the idea of a stalker villain like clock tower that are sort of forgotten about within the narrative of the stalker villain sinistar being another example oh yeah yeah, so you know we'll we'll go through some of these early influences. We've only got an hour ish of time, and maybe we can make this episode a bit longer than the others. We'll see, but we'll we'll cram in as much as we can. That's not just Resident Evil. I, I think Resident Evil can even sort of be the the thing that uh, that we only sprinkle through the episode. Even we, you know, horror is all about uh, taking your expectations and going, yeah, uh, forget that. We'll, we're going to surprise you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so why not make something about survival horror that minimizes Resident Evil as just, hey, yeah, this is the elephant in the room. It's a big deal. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, we, As we'll I wear the experiment. Resident Evil t-shirt, yeah. We're going to look <laughs> at the material that we have and, and, and we'll figure out a way to present it that we think is the most interesting for that period mm. of time, even if it means that we'd only talk about like two Resident Evil games and they only get a total of six minutes of screen time. If that's the way it turns out, then that's the way it turns out. Uh, yeah, I agree with that, though. And just like with FPS and with the In Search of films, it, it's not just it's not just going to be game by game. We've got to look at some topics. We've got to explore some ideas. And uh, I've come up with some some ideas for what those are going to be. And Dan's excited about them. So that's, that's always promising when I get an idea and I say, <laughs> hey, how about we talk about this in this episode? And he writes me like 500 word reply. Uh, I know I'm onto something. It's <laughs> awesome. It's awesome, dude. So, so, so that's, that's so, sort of, yeah, yeah, that's the gist of the first episode. Then we're going into licensed horror, uh, which is a really interesting one to explore because there's yeah there's a lot of crap in licensed games, but there's also a lot of I good imagine, stuff. Yeah. And, and and that's where you get a lot of you get probably the most variety uh, mechanically in terms of how the games work. You've got licensed horror games that are platformers, like really old school classic platformers. Then you've got licensed games that are that are FMV or adventure or survival horror. It's we're, we're jumping all over the place. And uh, I think it's also important when we're talking about licensed games to also talk about things that aren't licensed. So it's heavily inspired by, uh, and there's a lot of that going on. Like Alan Wake is basically a Stephen King game, but they don't have a Stephen King license. Uh, so, yeah. so we'll probably talk about Alan Wake in that episode. 
uh, and and a bunch of other things that aren't licensed. And maybe one of the things that we'll discuss with developers is the constraints that license having a license can place upon you compared to not and making something that's a homage to to someone's work. I think that'll be really yeah, interesting I mean, to explore. Yeah, because like a perfect example of that on both sides of the coin of what Richard was just talking about there is there are, you know, two really big Friday the 13th games, but one of them is called Splatterhouse and isn't yep. to do with Friday the 13th at all, but it's Friday the 13th. Like, oh my God, <laughs> the, the motif is it's you play as Jason Voorhees. Um, and then there's the Friday the 13th game that was recent. That was the Asymmetrical Horror game that was very, very popular, very beloved by fans, but there's lots of licensing issues around Friday the 13th and, you know, Sean Cunningham and the writer can't decide who actually owns it and it becomes really hard to renew that license. And now that game that was, you know, massively, massively popular with fans and a, a really like celebrated asymmetrical horror has unfortunately been delisted because of its tie-ins to licensing um so that's like a very interesting topic and i think another thing um that's sort of interesting with this episode is it kind of almost does the mini mission of you know changing the narrative around a term in the overall grand scheme of things that was horror you know don't give it this sour label don't label it as a bad thing licensed games the term licensed game used to be a dirty word. Um, and it has, you know, escaped those constraints a little bit more recently. Um, a bit, to be honest, though, that's mostly because licensed games have kind of disappeared now that the mobile market's opened up. Um, so that when a licensed game does actually come out, it kind of does have to be a high effort to warrant a console release. Um, but, but what we have to kind of like very importantly articulate with um, the Lethal Licenses episode is that licensed horror games are so important and interwoven with the history of horror gaming that it would be surprising to a lot of people as to what actually falls under the constraint of licensed game. And one example of that would be a very, very, very celebrated and beloved uh, survival horror RPG classic would be Parasite Eve, a game that is so famous for being a video game that if you Google Parasite Eve, you're probably going to get the video game, but it's it's a book. It's it's an ad- it's it's a sequel that from a book that was you know licensed out, um, and people don't even know about the book. How insane is that? That this game was so profoundly big within its culture that it erased its source material from like pop cultural knowledge. That's maddening. That's like almost unheard of. You know, could you imagine if? People, you know, didn't know that Harry Potter was a book because the films did so well. <laughs> and those are, you know, right. they, they, they're like huge and Lord of the Rings is huge, but they didn't erase the sort of cultural awareness of, the, of its source material. And yet Parasite Eve managed to do that. That's kind of insane. Um, and yeah, and there's, there's lots of like, there's lots of really insane things within like the world of licensed and I suppose unlicensed uh, video games. You know, there was such a demand for seeing sort of popular horror icons in games that wasn't being filled that the amount of sort of fan-made NES games that are kicking about you know there's there's a Hellraiser game that's like fully complete that you can just play on a ROM um, yeah. there's an entire crossover fighter in the form of Terradrome which in essence is kind of what Mortal Kombat's become with all of the horror guest characters so it's like did the fan game inform the official release <laughs> 
it's 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 hard to say um but it's a, it's a, it's an interesting question to raise like licensed titles are so interwoven in important ways with horror history um that you wouldn't necessarily think when you hear like licensed game like i'm willing to bet if people look at the sort of running order of the episodes they'll go oh cool cool oh, oh licensed game oh. and uh, that's Maybe kind one of you the, think they skip over yeah, almost for that, a minute that's 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 gonna be the one that like you know they'll watch it but it's the one they're least excited about and i'm hoping that we can sort of just as we want to change the perception on horror games we can equally change the perception on licensed games Hell yeah. Now to quickly go through the last three, um, I think I, I almost want people to, to have to go to your site and read them <laughs> to really catch a catch more detail. We are unfortunately running out of time, but I think people should go to the website and read what episode three, four, and five are about to really I, I think I think if Richard wants to run yeah. through the last three, I'll try and shut up because every you would like to do that, Richard. <laughs> sure. Right. I'm I'm happy to, to to do a quick rundown of them. So uh so the third one uh we've gone back and forth on the exact title and focus uh, it was originally full motion frights at the moment we've been thinking maybe it could be narrative nightmares uh the, the original idea was it's fmv horror it's a it's a pretty clear thing but then uh as i've been thinking about it more i've been feeling like fmv might be too limiting uh because then we can't really talk about cinematic horror games that uh, they, they're also pulling from the, the influence of movies. You've got things like It Came From the Desert back in the 80s is basically an interactive movie, but it's all done with pixel art and stuff. Uh, and you've got um, you've got things like D, where uh, it's it is also more rendered. It's more CG style. Uh, why shouldn't we cover this kind of stuff? Until Dawn, a more recent example, it's it's got motion capture. It, it, you've got real life actors in there, uh, but they look like video game characters. And so uh, we're probably going to make it sort of more cinematic movies, and maybe we can sneak in a, a little segment on visual novels as well if we're calling it narrative <laughs> nightmares, because then it's like they're narrative games. Let's let's touch on that too. Yeah. Let's acknowledge they exist and flag that maybe if we do a second season, that could be an episode one day. Um, so there's lots of interesting games we can explore there. Like Night Trap, obviously, is a, is a big one. Uh, oh man, it, it, it was a tough tough one for me to to get rob Fulop, the co-creator of it he he didn't want to he wasn't sure about getting interviewed because he's not a horror guy it's like but this was a satire and i don't really know anything about horror and i'm like yeah that's exactly why we want you and i had to <laughs> convince him that that this is a good idea that he should be in it he's not going to look like an idiot uh we've got phantasmagoria and that whole 90s scene of, of fmv uh getting pushed as the future of big budget video games and it totally wasn't it was a dead end uh, but then the uh, rebirth of fmv games more recently sam barlow being the star of that but there are others as well uh, i think there's all going to be really interesting stuff to to explore and the differences between making movies versus making games and uh, as with everything there's a lot of interesting stuff we can dig into and <laughs> and try to uh, change your feelings on the quality of them make you realize that hey actually some of these fmv games have really good ideas behind them even if they're very kitschy and b-movie like there's there's a depth of thought that's gone into them um speaking of depth you've got indie revolution as the fourth episode that is just enormous there's so much that's happened oh, in yeah. the indie scene in the past decade um 
but we don't even want to just do the past decade of indie. We want to talk about the earlier indie stuff. Like we're talking to Thomas Grip, Frictional Games co-founder, and before Amnesia, which is one of the games that made indie horror take off, those guys were doing the Penumbra series, uh, and yep. they were quite well known in the indie circuit for Penumbra, and so can talk to him about what what was going on there. Why why weren't these games taking off and and get into the craft of making them and how that uh, allowed them to then have their breakthrough hit with, with amnesia. And I think he uh, was, it, it was either him or his co-founder had also made a, a couple of horror games on their own before frictional. So we can get into deep cuts like that. That's we can so talk sweet. about doom modding. There's there are, <laughs> there's there's like mods in the nineties that are basically horror games, doom and the quake and stuff. And, uh, how uh, more recently you've got the lo-fi PlayStation One aesthetic suddenly taking off, and and this is Blowing like this is, right an, now. this is an, an indie thing, and uh, you've got lots of different uh, weird avenues we can go down. Uh, there's so much creativity in the indie genre; it's going to be really exciting to to explore that and uh, try and figure out how to com- compile that into a, <laughs> a story that makes sense. Uh, have, Especially have an hour long episode, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> flow for so an hour. Much. Uh, and, and like Five Nights at Freddy's, maybe we'll only get passing mention or something. <laughs> it's like, right. hey, indie indie games they blow they've blown up really big, and yeah, they're multi million dollar films now as well. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Uh, Ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one that I I think we've got on the site that I I hope we can get into a little bit is uh, audio games. Uh, there's a thing called Papa Sangre in the earlier days of the iPhone uh, was a horror game that is almost entirely based in sound. And so uh, <clears throat> obviously with horror, sound design is is crucial. But here's a game where it was the entire point. And they, they just, you, you just pop your headphones on and you've got some really simple graphic on your screen that's just like helping you navigate and stuff. And you hold your phone and you listen and you're in a dark room and you're you're basically blind uh, going through this world and it's it's really scary it's creepy and and that was a that was a genre for a, a few years uh, doing that um, and Dan's got some awesome people lined up as well to, to talk in that episode uh, he he knows everything about Horus so we've got some cool stuff to explore <laughs> um, and you know the the itch.io scene um maybe we can even get into roblox uh, dan's had some ideas <laughs> how we can cover some roblox made games uh oh yeah uh, that that episode and survival horror are going to be the hard ones i think to put together because there's just so much to explore it's what do we leave out uh, more than how do we more than how how do we make a compelling narrative it's what do we leave out because we don't What's have four hours to leave for out. This. yeah yeah mm. and and then we close on cursed and controversial, which is going to be fun. This is going to be an episode, man. I was reading some of the games you have, Manhunt in general. Uh, when you have a game that Rockstar devs said it was hard to make at the end of it, 
yeah, it's this 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 is episode five is gonna be one I super super hone in on because I'm got a face tattoo, so I like controversy, I guess. But <laughs> I'm all for this. Yeah, please explain this. This, this yeah. is insane. So, so uh, on on Manhunt, I was hoping that we'd talk to um his name uh Bernie something. Um anyway, the the producer on Manhunt, uh, one of the was one of the big wigs at Rockstar. Uh, left the company a few years ago. I was hoping to get him, but unfortunately he's under NDA still. Uh, he's not allowed to talk about any, any of that rock star stuff. So we can't interview him, still? which is a bummer. Um, Benzies, yeah. uh, Leslie Benzies, that's the name, uh, just came to me. Uh, so I don't know, I'll, I'll look around and maybe we can find someone we can talk to who worked on the game, but don't don't get your hopes up if you're hoping to, yeah. to, to hear a, a first-hand accounts of making that game. And unfortunately, we'll, we will have people like lending their insights though. Um, you've also got like Night Trap was, was the subject to a congressional hearing, which is hilarious because it's so tame and it's not even about killing anyone you the whole point of the game is to save these girls uh, from getting getting killed by vampires uh, and that's it's so kitschy and and the fact that anyone thought it was controversial is hilarious uh we got rule we got the maker of rule of rose uh which was almost banned uh in a whole bunch of countries and uh struggled commercially as a result of uh getting held back uh, from sale in some places um, Saw and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, Doom got caught up in some controversies, uh, some of them quite tragically, but <clears throat> uh, that, of course, will have to get talked about a bit. Uh, Harvester and the FMV side, that that might be a fun one to, to squeeze into the episode. Uh, but we also want to talk about games that didn't actually exist. It's the cursed part of the title. This is a really cool idea that Dan had of talking about games that are like urban legends, like Polybius. For for years, people would talk about this mythical arcade game, Polybius, and it was never it was never a thing. It never existed. I don't know how we're going to show this on screen, but we're going to ask people <laughs> about Polybius. And if they were around at the time, they'll probably have some story about how what they heard about it, and we can we can dig into that. And uh, there are some insane. other games as well that didn't actually exist, and you've got games that sort of existed, or games that that existed for a brief period, like PT. Where you, know, it, you could get the demo. Some people still have it on their Playstations. They still play. People it. will buy those but, jailbroken. I was say those PS4s. Playstations go for a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> but it doesn't exist anymore. And, it's, uh, and we can, it's elusive we can when you that. can't even really pirate it anymore. That's 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 when yeah, it gets yeah. crazy. When it becomes like difficult to pirate, then that yeah. that that's that become a, a lost treasure. Um, I did say I wouldn't uh, speak anymore because but th- th- this episode <laughs> oh, I, just get, really I just get so I, I'm like holding myself back every time. Like like I'm like oh I really <laughs> want to jump in there. Uh, but yeah, I kind of I, I kind of help myself and I have to talk about the the rule of rose controversy because that that is one of the most fascinating things in this episode. And obviously we'll go a lot more in depth in the episode. But that game was banned from release in the UK over a lie. In that. That blows my mind. So the, over the a lie, lie over a lie. So wow. um, specifically in Europe, banned is technically the wrong word, but essentially it was banned. It basically caused such a controversy over in the UK that the publishers went, 
you know what? Not even worth it. Not this worth was it. planned for release. We're pulling it. It's, uh, we can't take the heat. This is too much. Um, so there are PAL copies, which is the region that yeah, the UK uses, but you have to import them from like France and stuff, uh, where, which also the, you know, the release in anywhere in Europe was uh, really controversial. But the, the, the thing that I really want to talk about um, within Ruler Rose, because I think this is such a testament to the power of art, is that despite all of the hurdles put in place for Rule of Rose in terms of its controversy, in terms of its poor sales, in terms of its inaccessibility being like locked to this really rare title on the PS2, its legacy still lives on. But what's really interesting about that is this lie, the lie it got um, sort of all this controversy for, was that it contained scenes of... Um, child abuse um pedophilia and something else but basically the point is none of that's in the game it, it literally not even alluded oh, to it it does not exist in the game but an italian news report kind of like an italian fox news type uh ran a story about how this horrendous game that featured like underage characters in like sexually provocative situations and and you know displayed nudity and there was all this violent like you had to bury a kid alive was like one of the narratives they ran with again just complete <laughs> fabrication totally it never false. existed in it so that that lie was broadcast on this Italian news station and it spread like wildfire. And then suddenly, you know, all of the newspapers in the UK, like the Sun and the Daily Mail were picking it up. Fox News was picking it up. It was kind of being this this huge game of like telephone, essentially, where the, the, the controversy just got bigger and bigger and bigger. But what's interesting, and this is this is the part that I love about the story, is that Rule of Rose is still beloved. Rule of Rose is still a cult classic and still highly desired. Just look at the eBay prices if you don't believe us. My good God. <laughs> People love and adore and still talk about Rule of Rose. The lie that almost destroyed it is lost media. Doesn't exist. <laughs> Nobody can find that original broadcast. We know it what happened because we can see other people citing it as a source. But yeah, the, the broadcast doesn't gone exist now. anymore. It's gone. Can't find mm. it. Lost media. That's fucked up. That whole situation's fucked up. That that make it makes me mad. But also I think do you think that that to touch on it briefly, do you think that that lie helped amplify the game though? And in the long term, yes. Scene, yeah. In in the <laughs> long term, yes. In the short term, oh my god, no. It almost killed it dead. It, it almost, you know, ruined the creators. Um like a lot of the people behind it, it almost ruined them. Um Jesus obviously Christ. like a financial hit like that is 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 very difficult. I think if it had been done today in like the triple A space, that would have been like the end of them entirely because you just can't mm -hmm. lose that much money on a project. They benefited from it being around the time of the PS2, where actually you yeah. could still kind of bounce back that because the budgets weren't so inflated. Um, but yeah, the the long term it's gave it kind of this interesting lasting legacy. It's always got that little, oh, did you know about it? Yeah. Um but I, I just I just think it's a really like profound little articulation of the power of art that, you know, the art lives, the lie that almost killed it is nowhere to be found. That's insane. That is truly insane. There's <laughs> so many little like I said, this is just gonna be this this series is gonna be as I th I think as important as FPS documentary was to the FPS scene. It just truly sounds like that. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on with that episode, Richard? Or 
uh, in general, uh, is there anything before we go you want to touch on and tell people yeah. about with terabytes and where uh, to I find guess, it and how to purchase yeah, and everything? I, I guess the only other thing to say about that episode is that we want to we want to reframe these games. So we'll talk about the controversy, but then, like Dan was just saying with Rule of Rose, we want to uh, highlight how these games have a second life or third life or whatever. You know, some some games just kept getting hit, like Doom kept getting hit in the media. Uh, and the the games came through it. That the games are are bigger now than they were back then. Uh, pretty much in every case, the the stuff we're going to be covering in this episode, uh, that they all ended up getting the recognition that they deserve. And uh, we'll get to ask the developers about that roller coaster experience that they've been on, where something they made was hated by its people uh, at the time and is beloved now by a huge audience. Um, so uh, there's going to be sort of a roller coaster narrative that figure out somehow in that episode, it'll bounce up and down. Uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that that about covers it. There, there might be some other surprises in there. Let's not tell you everything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You know, uh, oh, yeah, so so terabytes is uh, where we are doing our current. Our, we're currently in the, what we're calling a pre-sales campaign. It's like it's almost crowdfunding, but not exactly. Uh, the The money that we raise is going into our budget. It's helping us make the film, right. but the film's going to be made anyway. It's like it's not a make or break thing. We're making this, but the more money we get, the better we can make it because we're going to have more budget. It, it all defines what we have to work with and and how smart we have to be in how we use the money we have so people can support it at terabytesdoc.com and uh, we really hope that, that people do because uh, like we've been saying all this time you know there's a huge amount of passion going into this a lot of love um, we've got an incredible cast we've we've barely even actually talked about the cast here yes <laughs> we, uh, we've got some awesome people we've got now, we've got Roberta Williams and Ken Williams, uh, Sierra co-founders. I'm really excited about that. Uh, That's going to be sweet. You know, obviously, Phantasmagoria was their big horror thing, but they they were uh, making games and publishing games for 20 plus years. And it's going to be a really interesting conversation with them to talk about what Sierra was doing and some of the, the, the things that they almost made and things that they did make. And uh, uh, you know, Roberta's thoughts on on horror as a medium. That's going to be really cool. Uh, we have Jane Jensen, who worked with them on Gabriel Knight, which is one of those game franchises that probably should be elevated as sort of almost high art. This is something that's really, really well written. And she's a successful novelist now. She writes romance novels. So that's kind of cool. Um, she, she does it under a different name. She has a pen name, but she, she writes romance novels. And, and that's her career after horror. We've got um, Alone in the Dark we talked about. We've got Hubert Chardot, who was the, the writer and and sort of the main designer uh, of that stuff. Um, he's a really interesting French guy. Uh, got a couple of Dead by Daylight guys, uh, Akira Yamaoka, Dan was talking about before, uh, Graham Devine, the seventh guest uh, co-creator, and they had The Eleventh Hour, which was a, a sequel that didn't really pan out very well and killed the company. Um, Jeremy Blaustein, one of the uh, key people on the Silent Hill series, he, he did uh, translation and voice direction on on those games and was involved in some sort of murky capacity on the design of silent silent hill 2 uh 
we got, if you look at some more recent indie stuff, we got the Slay the Princess co-creators. That's a really interesting game that we didn't talk about Sweet. before. Um, I'm sure awesome. Dan would have talked about it if I'd let him uh, go on a ramble. It's uh, a really Absolutely. cool game. <laughs> We're going to have to like, just get Dan, I think, back for an episode by himself. Just, so I'd be like, hey, just man, let him go. It's yours. Just talk. Do you have 900 hours? Because I think that's what you'll what you'll need. If you get us talking about horror, I'm just weaponized. Just one focus. What are you, what are you doing on Thursday, buddy? You know what I mean? <laughs> And actually, something I forgot to mention on the indie episode is Flash games. Uh, before the indie oh, resurgence, you had the Flash scene. This this was like this was indie gaming for for about new five to ten years. It was all about Newgrounds and and those other sites. And we got one guy uh, so far who was big in the Flash scene, Ben Leffler. We've we've also we got, got um, Jasper we, we got, got Jasper got Byrne who yeah. who did Lone Survivor, which. Uh, is sort of later on in that scene, um, and Lone Survivor turned into a, a really hit indie game on on a whole bunch of different platforms. Uh, so we got these two guys who uh, know that scene quite well. Um, Ex Mortis was like sort of a, a more adventury type game or mystery, uh, and uh, it was massive. It was one of the viral hits of its age back before we had things like YouTube and Twitch. Uh, stuff would go viral on Newgrounds. And yeah, and that was this whole thing, and and we get to revisit that. Uh, it's so viral; writer. it went viral twice because yeah. the YouTubers the... now are rediscovering Ex Mortis and doing big streams where they play through Ex Mortis. That's sweet. Mm. That's super cool. The lead writer on the Walking Dead final season, Mary Kenny. Uh, we got some people who uh, aren't game developers but really know their shit. Like uh, Christopher Carton knows uh, movie based games. Uh, we've got. Um, Brandon Trush, journalist, uh, really knowledgeable. Uh, who else is there? Um, there's the uh, the academic. What's his name? <laughs> Bernard Perron. Bernard Perron. Bernard that's Perron. right. Uh, who wrote the Silent Hill Terror Engine book? Uh, he's he he's Sweet. one of the like biggest experts in the world on horror games, uh, at least coming from the academia and journalism side of it. Uh, so he's he's got a lot of knowledge that I'm sure he'll be able to share with us. Got James Rolfe. He's in every creative VC film. <laughs> it's like <laughs> oh, you have to have the ABG. You, you got you got to have him. You, you got to tick him off. And uh, this is with, a bit with more this in his as well. House. Yeah, with this as well, he's actually perfect for quite a few little bits. Um, one of the ones that I'm really keen to get him to talk about is uh, Polybius, because I don't know if you've seen, but he has made a horror fan film of Polybius, which is really oh, cool. I'm going to have to That's watch awesome. that. Back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you, if, you go, if you just YouTube, it's on, it's on his Cinemasca channel. If you just YouTube like Angry Video Game Nerd, I'm going to have to get up. But it's it's really cool. It's like, a, it's like you know, it's all like lit and shot like a movie and stuff. And he discovers the arcade machine. It's real fun stuff. <coughs> Hell yeah, dude. Yeah, I'm going to have to watch this. We've got to get this graphic updated on the website uh, because we've got some more people who who aren't on there. Yes, yes, uh, we do. As well, actually. Uh, We... You know, we mentioned Sam Barlow before. Uh, I don't think he's on here. Uh, we've we've got um, Dennis Dyack, Eternal Darkness creator, and um, just recently we got Andy Bray, uh, who did the 
he was the lead AI programmer on Alien Isolation, so uh, he's really oh, got some really interesting to stuff to to tell us about how they they made that no that xenomorph hunt you through the game. Uh, that's going to be so interesting. You mean kick your ass every two seconds? Yeah, I would like to <laughs> yeah. Hear yes, thanks. <laughs> Play it on easy. Like Play it on easy. Is the way that's to go. what I'm here. <laughs> yeah, would, to me, yeah, dude. Even with cheats, I think still kick. I, not that I cheated, but even with cheats, I've heard it still kicks your ass. <laughs> And and we got Adam awesome. Sessler recently. That's going to be really fun. Yeah, he's you got Adam awesome. Sessler on. Yeah, yeah. I just got Adam Sessler. That's going to be really cool because he's a he's a horror buff. He's he's in the horror yeah. game, horror movies, and horror games. So it's going to be really cool to to chat to him about that. And he's going to be so much fun for the the Kirsten controversial episode as well because he's so outspoken oh, yeah. about video game violence and and the bullshit that goes down around that. No, that's Adam. I remember watching G Four Man way back when. Not the new G Four. I'm talking about the old, old school. <laughs> awesome. Is there anyone else people can expect to see? Or yeah, that's, is that that's, like that's a huge list. I don't know. Yeah, I, I just oh mentioned, yeah, then there's like, more than what, just that. Yeah, thirty or so of the people that we've yeah. got, and we've we've confirmed forty like, uh, as of this recording. Yeah, <sighs> yeah I mean, so straight off the top of me, straight off the top of my head, I know uh, you know there's. Two I can think of, uh, Dave Zemanski. Oh, no, you mentioned much earlier in the episode, but we didn't mention Adolf, mm. the creator of Faith, the Unholy Trinity, the really lo-fi, yeah. Atari-style horror games. So, yeah, there's, there's there's loads. If you go on the website, um, you will you can see the full cast list, especially once we uh, update that sheet, as uh, Richard has just noted. Um, but, uh, yeah, and I obviously would encourage you to go on the website anyway because you can see the full trailer there. You can see all the exclusive perks. Every purchase at the moment comes with a digital copy of FPS stock as well. So you're getting two documentaries for the price of one. And uh, if I am right in when this podcast comes out, it's ending in three days. So you've got three more days to support us in the pre-sale and get your name in the credits and get all the exclusive pre-sale goodies. I mean, I know we're gonna be we're gonna be supporting this. I'm gonna be purchasing soon. Taxes just hit my bank account, <laughs> so I can finally buy this. But I I do encourage everyone to who is listening, look, go to the website. The website is gonna be down in the link down in our bio below for the episode notes. It's gonna be on our YouTube channel. We're gonna be plugging the absolute shit. If you were annoyed with us when we were talking about FPS doc, prepare to get annoyed all over again in such a special <laughs> awesome way. Because this Friday you're about to get hit in the head with like a baseball bat of terror bites. This is, I look forward to this so goddamn much. And I love working with Creator VC. Now this is two movies. So it's time to get us on payroll, maybe, Robin. Block. We're waiting for your call. I'll, I'll wait. Have your people contact me or Brody and we'll we'll figure it out. Um, Otherwise, we'll just keep annoying you guys for interviews and every time. <laughs> dragging you back, you know? Every but. time. No, we we really appreciate this. We appreciate you guys taking the time to come on, especially with, you know, the time differences and everything. We know it's an absolute nightmare to work it out. Uh, You guys have an awesome product here. You have an awesome company. Uh, Everything you guys do is there's just so much passion behind it. And we really appreciate you sharing that with us and allowing us to share that with our listeners and and pass it along. I mean, it it truly is something special and something that, um, you know, documentaries are cool. But when when you know and, and, and see the passion behind them, like what you guys have, it's it's it truly is something special. And uh, we we just really appreciate it. Yeah, we're here to celebrate it. A hundred percent. This is something I love. I would I love to celebrate. And talking to you guys has made me ten times more excited for this project. And I cannot wait to talk to you to bring you guys back on one day when we get closer to the end of the to, to releasing, right? So um 
we have hit the hour and a half mark. <laughs> it is time to close this show up, unfortunately. Um, but you, to our audience, please expect to hear from these two lovely gentlemen again. And if there is anything you guys want to leave the audience off on, please do in regards to terabytes. Uh, Dan, definitely, you, you would, yeah, <laughs> uh, definitely check it out and play more horror games, everybody. They're really, really valuable cultural artifacts, and I love them so much. So I much. will just for you, Dan. Just thank for you. you. Thank you. This has all been <laughs> worth doing. That was my that was my other goal. The other goal of the documentary. It was celebrate horror. Um, you know, celebrate the developers and get you specifically to play <laughs> another horror game. That was it. Perfect. So perfect. one tick one ticked off. We're already on to a winner. Hell yeah. Richard, is there anything you wanted to leave off on? Or are we good to put the bow on this episode? That's awesome. Dan's covered it. well thank you guys for hopping on the show thank you all for listening support terabytes you will see the link down in the bio below go to the website buy the movie you got three days left as this episode drops again baseball back to the back of the head you're gonna be hit with terabytes for the next couple days get ready for terabytes until next week guys take it easy and be safe and play more horror games god damn it This is the WASD and Beyond Podcast.